as you are aware, I'm doing a sermon series on who is Jesus, and at the moment I'm looking at the seven I am statements he makes about himself. Today we're looking at the fourth one of these statements. If you remember last week, the third I am statement Jesus made about himself was the fact about being the door. And he was talking about the sheep penfold and how he is the door that lies at the front of it. If you remember the scenario, Jesus is talking to Pharisees who were upset at him. You see, he healed a blind man and he asked that blind man, who does he think he is? Does he believe in the Son of Man? And Jesus claimed to that man that he was the Son of Man. The Pharisees weren't happy with this, so they set out and they came to confront Jesus. Well, the fourth I am statement is a direct follow-on from this one. In fact, it's part of the same conversation to these Pharisees. However, Jesus moves from the structure itself of the sheep pen to the main character, to the one who holds it all together, the shepherd. Do you know, shepherding was very popular in Bible times. Many of the people named in the Bible were shepherds by occupation. Do you know, even today in the Holy Land, you will still see many shepherds going about their business. But even though today there are still shepherds in the Holy Land, if we were to go on a tour like we did last week, we would be taken back, dare I say, by how different they were compared to what we see in our Aussie sheep farmers. I'm not sure if you've ever had anything to do with sheep farmers, where Michelle and I come from in Queensland. We had quite a lot of them. When we think of sheep farmers, we have images like this, images of motorbikes, dogs, and horses. We had uh, a family whose son was, um, you know, he, he, that was his job, to go around mustering sheep. He had 10 dogs and two horses. All of these things in these pictures have one purpose and one alone. The purpose is to drive the sheep. The purpose is to push the sheep forward to a spot where the farmer wants them to go. However, while we're on our tour in the Holy Land, we wouldn't see anything like this. Chances are this is what we would see over in Israel. Over there, shepherds don't farm sheep in order to slaughter them for food. Sheep are farmed for wool, milk, and to produce more lambs. So a lot more care is taken in their sheep over there. That's why even today, the shepherds still know their sheep quite intimately. This involves knowing their individual traits and their special needs of the sheep. They lead the sheep. We drive them. So as you can see, Shepherds did special things for their sheep. So with this picture in our mind, let's look at the time where Jesus continued this conversation to the Pharisees and said, I am the good shepherd. Pam's going to come up now and read for us. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. 
Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thanks, Pam. Remember the scenario. Jesus is talking to Pharisees who are upset at him because he healed the blind man and claimed to be the son of man. The Pharisees weren't happy, so they're confronting Jesus about what on earth is going on. They can't confront the man anymore. Remember, what did they do to him? They kicked him out. They excommunicated him. You know, if the Pharisees were already upset at Jesus, I can't help but think he isn't making his case any better. Jesus used a shocking word in this statement. In fact, he uses it three times. What word is that? The word is this, good. The word translated good literally means instinctively good, beautiful or fair. But it describes something. It describes someone which is ideal or perfect. If anything was called good in these days, it was really set apart the good thing was or became a model for others to imitate. The good thing could be followed by people and they wouldn't get into trouble. I guess a bit like we would say, now there's a good role model, go and follow that. Now I guess where we come from in the year 2022, it's no shocking surprise to us that Jesus called himself good. The word good just rolls off our tongue. I mean, he definitely fitted the meaning in his nature, Jesus was beautiful and fair. He had goodness about him like no other. So of course Jesus would call himself good. No damage done, right? Well, wrong. As I said, this word good was only given to perfect things. Do you remember even Jesus himself challenged a man who gave him this title good? He said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So we must understand when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he wasn't just saying it like we use the word good. When someone comes up to us and says, how are you going? And we say, yeah, I'm good. Remember, in these days, no one was good. There is no one or no thing that was beautiful, fair, ideal and perfect, except for God alone. And yet here Jesus is calling himself good. So for Jesus to call himself good, he's calling himself to be God. 
Anyway, sorry about the diversion, but now on to the message. In today's passage, Jesus points out three special ministries that he performs as the good shepherd. And the first one is this. As the good shepherd, he dies for his sheep. The point Jesus is making to these Pharisees is this. How does a shepherd care for his sheep? Well, in this dialogue, he compares the actions of two different types of shepherds watching over sheep. The action of the shepherd who owns the sheep compared to the actions of the shepherd who is hired to watch the sheep. Jesus' argument is this. What are the actions of the hired shepherds towards the sheep when dangers come? What does this man do? He runs away. Now, before we attack the hired man too harshly, in his defence, Jesus gives us a key reason why this hired shepherd runs away. The hired shepherd does not own the sheep. He never paid for the sheep. He never raised the sheep. He doesn't have anything to do with them other than the fact that he's been paid to look after them. As far as his pocket is concerned, they never cost him anything. So we understand things that don't cost us anything we don't really care about. Compare that to the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd has purchased his sheep. He has made a cost. So the sheep belong to him. They are his. The good shepherd knows that by nature, sheep are stupid. They are prone to get into danger. He knows they need a shepherd to care for them. And when danger comes, the good shepherd, the one who owns them, he stays and cares for the flock. He doesn't take off and run away. He stays. Jesus states when it comes to caring for people, he is comparing himself to the shepherd who owns the sheep. He watches and cares for his sheep that way, as opposed to the hired man who watches over the sheep only because he's paid to do so. So when the danger comes, the hired man runs away. But Jesus says, I don't do that. I die for my sheep. Remember the contents of Jesus in this sermon. He's calling the Pharisees the hired men because they had no loving concern for the healed beggar. What did they do? They put him on the outside of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. They are like the hired men that don't care for him at all. They made no cost for him. Compare that to the good shepherd. The good shepherd has purchased his sheep and had made a cost. So the sheep belong to him. They are his. As I said last week, when it came to the hill beggar, it was Jesus that heard what had happened to him. And it was Jesus that left where he was and went out to find the beggar. Five times in this sermon... Jesus clearly affirms the sacrificial nature of his death. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Under the old allowance, the sheep died for the shepherd. But now the good shepherd dies for his sheep. He did not die as a martyr killed by man for religious care or a cause. He died as a substitute. He says, I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. Another thing we learn is this. The good shepherd knows his sheep. In the Gospel of John, this word know means so much more than an intellectual awareness. The word know 
here speaks of an intimate relationship. This word know is all about intimacy and speaks of intimacy in a relationship. How intimate? Well, this word know that Jesus used is the same word that scripture uses to describe the sexual union between a husband and a wife. It is used in the term of known, being intimate with each other. Our Bible will sometimes say that he knew her or he didn't know her. That means when they didn't know each other, that no sexual intimacy had taken place. So get this. Jesus says, as the good shepherd, he knows us on that same level of the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Man, that's close. That's close. You know, it may be scary to have someone knowing you that intimately, but most times it's also very comforting. You see, having someone know you that intimately, most times when someone knows you on such a deep, intimate level, they truly love you and they truly care for you. They're not just a person who passes by in the street. When someone knows you like that, they truly know you. Well, according to Jesus, this is how close he is as the good shepherd. This is how much he knows us. What does the good shepherd know? Well, he knows our natures. While all sheep are alike in their essential nature, each sheep has its own distinctive characteristics. And the loving shepherd recognises these traits. As I said, one sheep may be afraid of high places. Other sheep may be afraid of dark shadows. A good and faithful shepherd will consider these special needs as he tends to the flock. As I said, I worked at a horse camp. We had 35 horses. Every horse was different. We had horses that would freak out at a bit being put in their mouth. Another horse would freak out if someone would walk past them all of a sudden. But we knew what freaked out our horses and so we never put them in situations where they could be in danger. Well, that is what a good shepherd does. He considers the special need of the flock that he attends. Have you ever noticed how different the 12 disciples are? I mean, I did a sermon series uh, in Queensland on the 12 disciples. 12 weeks, we looked at each disciple individually. Peter was an impulsive and outspoken person. Thomas was hesitant and doubting. Andrew was a people's person who was always bringing someone to Jesus. Judas wanted to use people in order to get money for himself. However, when you read the Gospels, when you study these men, you can plainly see Jesus knew each of the 12 personally. And you see, he knew exactly how to deal with them. He knew their natures. Well, the same is true for us. We are all different, but he knows our nature. He intimately knows what makes you tick. He intimately knows how to scratch you where you itch. Or as most people, young people used to say to me at school, Jesus knows what floats your boat. Because the good shepherd intimately knows our nature, he also knows our needs. Do you know, if I was to give you a piece of paper and I'd say to you, write down the greatest needs that you have, chances are you'd be able to do it. You might be able to come up with some of the needs you believe that you need in your life right now. But I can't help but think from a human perspective, what we write on that piece of paper may not be correct. They may be needs for sure, but would they be our greatest needs? 
You see, our greatest need in life isn't to be educated. It isn't to be socially acceptable. It is not to be financially secure and stable. Our greatest need in life is salvation. That's your greatest need in life, to be saved from your sin. We need to have our sins forgiven, our lives changed and our future secured. Now, if that wasn't on your greatest needs list, don't worry too much because you don't have to come up with it. Why? Because Jesus knew it. Jesus knows your needs. Jesus knows your greatest need. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows their nature and their needs. He knows his sheep and shows his love in the way that he cares for them. Do you know, I think it's sad when I go to funerals and they read out Psalm 23. Do you know, Psalm 23 has become a deaf funeral psalm. Why do I say it's sad? Because that psalm's not about death. It's about life. It's a psalm about life. Psalm 23 is a beautiful poetic description of how good shepherds care for their sheep. While the sheep are in the pastures, by the waters, and even through the valleys, there may be dangers the sheep will face, and there may be in need of many things. But the psalmist said the sheep shall not fear. Why? Well, it doesn't matter if the sheep are in the pastures or by the waters or in the valleys. All the time the shepherd is watching the sheep. All the time the shepherd is caring for the sheep. All the time the shepherd is meeting the needs of the sheep. If you would connect Psalm 23 verse 1 and verse 6, it is this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's the message of Psalm 23. You get the main theme of the poem? The Lord is my shepherd. All my life he will be with me and I will have everything I ever need. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows their natures and he knows their needs. He knows his sheep and he shows his love in the way he cares for him. And finally, the good shepherd takes up his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. From the human point of view, when you look at the cross, it appeared that Jesus was executed. But from the divine point of view, he laid down his life. He did it willingly. He volunteered. He voluntary's death was followed by his victorious resurrection. That's why he laid it down. When Jesus cried on that cross, it is finished. It wasn't the end. Three days later, he voluntarily took up his life again and rose from the dead. The Father gave him the authority to do this in love. That's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again because this command I've received from my Father. Sometimes in scriptures, it teaches it was the Father who raised the Son from the dead in Acts, Romans and Hebrews. Here, however... The son himself stated that he has the authority to take up his life again. Both are true. The father and the son work together in perfect harmony. He has the right to take up his life. So that's the good shepherd. He dies for his sheep. He knows his sheep. And he takes up his life again for his sheep. So what? What's it mean for us today? Well, for me... Jesus actually talks about that because so far I've only focused on one side of Jesus' message, the shepherd to the sheep. And you're right, 
But what did Jesus state? And this is my final point today. I know my sheep and... Sorry? My sheep know me. As the good shepherd cares for the sheep, the sheep get to know their shepherd better. How much better? Well, the same intimate no is used again here by Jesus. So get this. He wants us to know him intimately as close as we know a lover. That's how intimate he wants us to know him. In fact, he wants us to know him this way so much, it is the same word he used when he prayed for us in John 17, that we would know him like that. Why do you think Jesus says that? Why do you think Jesus wants us to know him that intimately? Well, the more intimately we know the shepherd, the more we love him and the more we trust him. How do we get to know the shepherd better? The very same way the sheep do with their shepherd. How do the sheep know their shepherd? Jesus says, easy. What thing do they know about the shepherd? Their voice. He says the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. The very same way the sheep do with their shepherd is the same way we get close to ours, by listening to his voice and following him. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You know, voices can be very distinctive things. Some voices we can hear and we immediately are recognised without seeing their faces. Morgan Freeman is one, Sean Connery probably, and the Queen. They have very distinctive voices. We can know them. Other voices that we can hear bring comfort and security and encouragement. I got a phone call this week uh, from the principal of my school that I've worked at for the last seven years. And uh, it's the first time I've spoken to him since being here. And he rang me up just to see how I'm going and uh, asked me a few questions. And, and before I hung up the phone, I said, Ross, I want to leave you this, mate. It's good to hear your voice because I haven't heard it for six months. This is what Jesus wants to do for us as our good shepherd. Are we experiencing his da- as we are experiencing his daily care, we are knowing his voice more and more. And that voice becomes more recognisable and more comforting and more encouraging. So the question you've got to ask yourself is this. Do I know his voice? Do I know his voice that intimately? Well, I want to say to you, we have his voice. We do. We have his voice and we have it now. His voice is called the Bible. Do you know, I had a pastor that used to say, people say the Bible contains the word of God. He said it doesn't. The Bible doesn't contain the words of God. The Bible is the words of God. It is the word of God. He said the Bible is a miracle book. He says every time you open up the Bible, God opens up his mouth. Every time you close the Bible, God closes his mouth. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When we do know God intimately, when we are listening and reading and hearing his voice and following him, our life has purpose. Daniel 11 says, 32, people who know, same word, their God 
will be strong and do great things. Do you or do I know him intimately? I can't be committed to following someone I don't know. I can't be committed to following and hearing someone who I don't recognise his voice. When we belong to him, you not only have all you need in this life, you also have everything you need in death, in time of eternity. When we realise we are listening and following Jesus as our good shepherd, we realise that we are not saved by doctrine written in a book. We are not saved by a we are saved by the personal redeemer, Jesus Christ. We know him by faith. We do not fear. He is the good shepherd. Can I ask you this? How great are those words? How good are those words? How inspiring are those words? Do they just cut to your heart? Well, I'll tell you this. They are only good words if you are in the know. They are only good words if you truly know who they come from. Remember, who is Jesus? Well, I've just told you the way he wants us to know about him. I find it interesting. As I said, he's talking to the Pharisees. Have those words that he said inspired you, gone to your heart? Well, what's the response of some who heard his words? He, they heard his words in audible voice, not coming from a silly man standing behind a pulpit. Jesus says they were divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're still focusing on the man. To some... Jesus' words that he spoke to that group brought life and understanding. To others, they heard the same voice and it brought nothing but confusion. Some were in the know. Some knew Jesus, but some weren't. May I leave you with this today. Which camp are you in when the voice of Jesus speaks to you? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I just thank you for the incredible power of your word. I thank you that we can open up your word and you speak to us. Father, I thank you that your son Jesus walked this earth and taught us many things. Jesus, I thank you for what it means that you being the good shepherd and we are your sheep. Help us to know you. And Father, help us, Jesus, to want to be that intimate with you and know you on the intimate level of that closest relationship that two human beings can have together. I thank you for your encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like prayer today, please feel free to, to come and see someone um, for prayer and uh, we'd love to pray for you. And just a reminder, don't forget, I have that envelope. If you would like to grab a name of one of those young people, um, just to pray for them, I'll be at the door. Thank you and uh, God bless you.